BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Wednesday, September 20th, 2023. Scott Ritter joins us now. Scott, always a pleasure, my dear friend. Thank you for coming back to the show. So this week we all uh, witnessed, and the week is only half over, uh, President Biden and President uh, Zelensky acting as we would expect them to act at the U.N., uh, is this um, these shows that they put on likely to have any effect on the war? Or is this just sort of international theater? Well, it's it's not even international theater. This is theater for a domestic American audience. Uh, this is the preliminary um, act before Zelensky goes to to Washington D.C., where he's going to uh, attempt to uh, get Congress to continue funding. Uh, this failed effort in uh, in Ukraine. Um, you know, when he spoke before the United Nations Security Council, I don't know if you saw the audience. Uh, there was nobody in the audience. Uh, nobody I did, cares. I, I did see that. There was nobody there. Nobody Why cares anymore. Nobody cares. He's he's look. Poland is walking away. Poland calls uh, Ukraine a drowning victim, and uh, they said, you know, you have to be careful. Uh, you can't save a drowning victim. They'll drown you, too. The best thing to do is to get away from them. Poland is distancing themselves from this. Uh, Germany has stopped talking about uh, ridiculous terms of uh, negotiation. That Russia has to retreat from terror. Germany is now saying this war can't be won. And in order to prevent uh, NATO from being compelled to confront a victorious Russia, uh, we need to start recognizing certain realities like Russia's going to have this territory and Ukraine's never going to be a member of NATO. This is the fact. Europe has woken up to the absolute reality that Ukraine has lost this conflict, cannot win this conflict. And um, the, the consequences of seeking to continue this conflict under these existing circumstances will be disastrous. It's only the United States, uh, or should I say the Biden administration, that continues to hold on to these, uh, this, this, this fantasy. If Europe has awakened to the reality uh, of Russian uh, victory and Ukraine uh, defeat, is it still sending arms or promising to send arms and other support to Ukraine? Well, they are. I mean, but let's talk about some of the arms that are being sent right now. Um, the, 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 the Nordic countries, uh, Denmark, uh, et cetera, have just sent a uh, shipment of old Leopard 1 tanks. These are the really old tanks. And Ukraine, who is in desperate need of this equipment, has sent, I believe, at least 10 of them back saying, they don't work. This is garbage. This is junk. Uh, the fact is, 
uh, what Europe is providing Ukraine uh, isn't going to help Ukraine win. This isn't uh, new modern equipment. Uh, this this is just going through the motions of being seen as uh, supporting Ukraine when everybody knows that this is a, 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 a failed effort. Ukraine is a failed state with a army that can't prevail on the battlefield. How about, uh, how about Germany? Are they still sending Leopard tanks? Germany is sending uh, old refurbished Leopard tanks. Um, but again, these tanks have proven that they have no meaningful impact on the battlefield. One weapon that Germany could provide that, that, that wouldn't turn the tables but would give Russia some headaches is the uh, Taurus uh, air-launched cruise missile. It, it is a modern weapon, and it would take some time for Russia to adapt uh, to the inclusion of this weapon. And Ukraine is putting a lot of pressure on Germany uh, to provide that weapon. But I think there's a growing recognition in Germany that this would be uh, needlessly uh, escalatory. Uh, it wouldn't change the final outcome, and it could put Germany and NATO at risk of um, of, of, of causing a Russian uh, response that nobody wants. We have a number of clips of President Zelensky uh, at the UN earlier today, but this one that we're going to run now is somewhat incendiary uh, because of his argument that the Kremlin is weaponizing energy. And then at the end, he uses two words that to the public are a little terrifying, but I'm sure you can explain them. You'll hear him say them at the very end, dirty bombs. Listen to that. Many times the world has witnessed Russia using energy as a weapon. Kremlin weaponized oil and gas to weaken the leaders of other countries when they came to the Red Square. And now, now the threat is even greater. Russia is weaponizing nuclear energy. Not only it is spreading its unreliable nuclear power plant construction technologies, but it is also turning other countries' power plants into real dirty bombs. So what, what is he talking about turning other countries' nuclear power plants into dirty bombs? Well, I mean, first of all, the first thing he's talking about is Russia's uh, continued occupation of the uh, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and um, the contention on the part of Ukraine that uh, Russia is not operating this plant uh, safely, and therefore there's the potential of um, a malfunction, an accident that would lead to a Chernobyl-type event. Of course, the International Atomic Energy Agency has uh, experts on the scene. Rosatom, the, the Russian Atomic Energy um, Agency, is one of the best in the world. Uh, they built this uh, this particular reactor back when it was a Soviet reactor. Um, it's being operated safely. This is nonsense. Uh, I think Zelensky's referring in the second part to when he talks about the weaponization of energy, um, he's very frustrated with Turkey. Russia just built uh, and is bringing into operation a modern uh, nuclear power plant in Turkey that's going to play a significant role in uh, Turkey's economy um, in the provision of uh, electrical uh, power for for Turkey. And uh, Zelensky's resentful of this. And so what he's doing is uh, this is slur that Russia doesn't know how to produce nuclear power plants in any nation that allows Russia to produce a nuclear power plant on its soil is allow, is putting in place a ticking time bomb, a, a future Chernobyl that uh, you know is the equivalent of a dirty bomb. That's what he's talking about. What what is a dirty bomb, by the way? Well, a dirty bomb would be um, a conventional high explosive munition that has been impregnated with uh, radiological material. It's not a fusion uh, device, meaning there's not going to be critical mass of chain. You're going to take um, 
if, for instance, radiological uh, waste from medical uh, sources or some CCM that's used for um, batteries, you take this and you put it in a nuclear uh, in a high explosive device so that when it blows up, it spreads uh, radioactive material and contaminates an area. So it's not a nuclear explosion. It's a conventional high explosion, but it's going to spread uh, radioactive material and contaminate a widespread area. I, I will tell you this. Uh, we investigated this phenomenon of uh, this weapon when I was a weapons inspector in Iraq. And, um, and what we found is that um, in theory, it sounds like a, a good idea, but in practice, uh, it, it's, it's a non-functioning weapon. Israel actually tested uh, over a dozen uh, different designs of so-called dirty bombs and found that the, uh, the spread of radioactive material is minimal and not uh, threatening life except in the immediate vicinity of it. So while we don't want this to happen, obviously, I think what I'm trying to tell your audience is uh, the concept of a dirty bomb has been way overhyped. It's not quite the weapon that everybody thinks it is. Do professionals know that what he's saying is grossly exaggerated and not and not exaggerated and not realistic fears? Absolutely. Professional military. Uh, professional military, professional atomic energy agency people, uh, anybody who understands the technologies involved knows that what he's saying is utter bull. Scott, is there any evidence that the uh, Ukrainian troops have uh, pierced, impregnated, or even reached? the three rings of defenses that uh, the Russian military and its outside contractors uh, erected um, along the, the fault line between Ukraine and eastern Ukraine. There's some evidence that north of the village of Robotino in the direction of uh, Verboye, and I might be saying that village wrong, so I apologize for anybody who don't take my pronunciation of Russian language to the bank. <laughs> but uh, in, in the in the direction of Verboyo, um, there was the initial line of um, dragon's teeth. And there's some evidence that uh, Ukrainian reconnaissance units, dismounted infantry, have crossed over and have advanced uh, towards a tree line in that area. Uh, they're being slaughtered as we speak. No Ukrainian vehicles have gone through. And the dragon's teeth, of course, aren't designed to stop infantry. They're designed to stop armored vehicles and no Ukrainian armored vehicles have reached it. No Ukrainian engineering units have come to break these obstacles apart. The obstacles are doing what they're intended to do, to stop an armored advance and force Ukrainians to go forward with infantry where they're being slaughtered as we speak. Well, that is a very enlightening and sophisticated explanation, uh, Scott. And I want those watching and listening now to compare it to General Milley's explanation where he says the Ukrainian troops have penetrated layers of Russian defense. Generally speaking, the Ukrainians have penetrated several layers of this defense. Uh, it is not 100% penetrated yet, uh, but they've penetrated several of the layers. And they're going very slow, preserving their combat power, uh, and very deliberately uh, through this uh, defensive belt that stretches the entire length and breadth of Russian-occupied Ukraine. So. Uh, for the critics that are out there, um, I would say that there's plenty of fighting weather left, there's plenty of combat power remaining, and the Ukrainians have absolutely no intent to stop. Well, well he's, he's substantially misleading, and quite quite frankly, um, Scott, I think he's talking about you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, I hope so. I, I, look, I'd love to have a conversation with General Milley on the record. Uh, maybe you could facilitate it. Uh, I doubt he'll do it. 
But, um, you know, when he says, generally speaking, several layers, um, well, if he's going to talk about layers, maybe he's talking about the flexible defensive zone in front of the first line of defense, because there is this defensive zone that's designed to receive the attack. They use minefields to break up the attack. Uh, they channel the attacking forces into uh, predicted lanes to get hit by artillery. And then the Ukrainian or the, the Russians have troops that are dug in who then withdraw to secondary positions still in the uh, forward defensive zone ahead of the first line of defense. And so what he's talking about is maybe penetrating that minefield, uh, penetrating the initial uh, trenches because the Russians withdrew, um, and then penetrating the next line before they get to the dragon's teeth. Um, if that's the case, then I guess they have penetrated several layers of Russian defense. What he's missing, though, is that it's taken the Ukrainians more than three months to do this. And this is something that any attacking force should accomplish in the first day or the second day. You don't get hung up in the forward defensive zone, the crumble zone, uh, for three months. That's not a victory. And he's saying they have 40 days life left. Let me tell you what will happen in the next 40 days. They're all going to die. Look, they, in the Poltavo region, the recruiting office, they've acknowledged uh, for every 100 soldiers that have been mobilized and sent uh, forward, um, nine, uh, nine, basically uh, 90, uh, 80 to 90 of them are, are finished, done. Dead, crippled, wounded, prisoner, out of combat. The 80 to 90 percent of the Ukrainian troops that have been mobilized have been taken off the battlefield. Hey, General Miley, I'm a simple Marine. I ain't too good at math, but I'll tell you this. If you're losing nine out of 10 guys, you ain't doing too well. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Wow. Is the, is the kill ratio still seven to one with about 500,000 Ukrainian uh, soldiers dead? Uh, you know, whether it's 400, 500,000, uh, it's a lot of Ukrainian dead. Um, you know, Vladimir Putin spoke of a 10 to one uh, ratio. I think that that is um, a ratio that can be applied at specific parts of the fight. Look, the Ukrainians have lethal weapons. They're killing Russians. There's no doubt about it. The Russians every once in a while get caught out and they get hammered. Um, and yeah, so we're talking, you know, seven to one, eight to one, 10 to one. But let's say it's 10 to one. That's in the best interest of Russia. Let's say it's 400,000 uh, Ukrainian dead. That's 40,000 dead Russians. That's a lot of dead Russians. 
That's a lot of sad mommies. That's a lot of distraught wives. That's a lot of traumatized children. Russia's paying a heavy price for this war, and I don't think anybody should ever minimize that. We talk about the Ukrainian casualties, as we should, because we're responsible for those. But we're also responsible for the dead Russians. Could you imagine trying to tell the American people um, about a conflict where they've lost, in, in a span of 600 days, uh, 40 to 50,000 dead. It took us 10 years to lose that many in Vietnam. And that broke the heart, the spirit of America. Now we're talking in a period of you know, 600 days, Russia's lost upwards of 50,000 dead. Um, that's a lot of dead. Uh, it's, this, this, is a, this is a war, the scope and scale of the violence. Many Americans can't understand. You know, the U.S. Army just published a research paper that said if we went to war with Russia in these environments, we'd lose 3,600 men per day. Wow. Are the American people ready for this? Is General Miley ready for this? And the answer is no. He said, he literally went to the Biden administration and said, don't go to war against Russia or China because we're not going to win. Here's uh, what he said uh, just yesterday uh, about the American end goal. As President Biden and Secretary Austin have said many, many times over, we, the United States, will continue to provide support to Ukraine for as long as it takes. The end goal remains crystal clear. Support Ukraine until Putin's unwarranted, illegal, and ruinous war of choice comes to an end. Sounds like Jake Sullivan or Victoria Newland wrote it for him. I mean, that's not a realistic military statement, is it? No, and it, 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 we, we have to extrapolate from that statement because what he's really saying American policy is because he says comes to an end. But how is it going to come to an end? It can only come to an end if there's a change in the uh, political leadership of Russia. Uh, and so what he's saying is it's the goal of the United States is regime change in Moscow. And now you understand the insanity of what he's saying. Um, He's not even being honest with the American people. If he were, he'd go back to General Lloyd Austin's statement that was made in May of 2022 when he came back from Kiev, when he was in Poland, and he said, we want to inflict so much harm on, on, the, on the Russians through this conflict. Remember, he's not saying he wants Ukraine to win. What he's saying right. is, we want to use Ukraine as a vehicle to inflict so much harm on Russia that they never again attempt this, which means there will be a change of leadership in Moscow. This isn't happening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here to tell you firsthand that Vladimir Putin is stronger today than he has been at any time in his presidency. The level of support in Russia for Vladimir Putin is sky high, and Russia is stronger today than they were when this war started. We ain't going to win this war. Ukraine's not going to win this war. Russia's going to win this war. Here's someone that doesn't recognize that, Admiral Kirby. Uh, with two of my uh, friends and former colleagues at Fox. It's a little bit long, the clip, but it's very telling uh, what Admiral Kirby says. I can assure you that we have and we will continue consistently to provide security assistance to Ukraine, arms and equipment, weapons and capabilities so that they can defend themselves. And you'll hear more from the but president about that why not give them something that actually moves the needle? I mean, because mm-hmm. it's like we, we provide them with enough to keep them in the fight, but not enough to win. And so what we're doing is we're just helping them and it feels like they're losing slowly 
And you're at a critical moment where you need members of Congress to come forward and say, yes, we're going to do this funding. I just have to beg to differ a little bit that we're not giving them what they need to win. They, they are succeeding. And Putin was trying to go on Kiev. It was all about anti-tank missiles. When he, when he concentrated his efforts in the Donbass, which is farmland, it became all about artillery. When he started buying drones from uh, Iran, air defense became more of a priority. So we continue to evolve the capabilities that they get as the war changes. That's a composition for a very long slog. And, we, we, and a long war. I think everybody recognized when they kicked off this counteroffensive that it could be a long slog, that it could be tough. The Russians are defense in depth. They have deep lines. They have minefields that are making it slow going for uh, the Ukrainians. I think nobody was under any illusion that the counteroffensive was going to be some sort of blitzkrieg that would be over. It's a remarkable thing, and yet 500,000 people wounded or killed already. I mean, it's, yeah. that's, that's brutal. We, we are with them, as the president says, for as long as it takes, and we will. Okay with them, as the president says, for as long as it takes. I don't really think they know They know what that means, Scott. Well, it means to the last Ukrainian. They're in it literally until the last Ukrainian is willing to die on the battlefield. And unfortunately, Russia's helping Ukraine get to the last Ukrainian part of that equation uh, sooner rather than later. This is not a war that's going to drag on for years. Ukraine simply can't sustain this level of casualties. And Russia is going to continue the intensity of, uh, of this conflict uh, along the same level for as long as it takes to get Ukraine to finally wake up and surrender. President uh, Zelensky is uh, on his way to Washington. No uh, formal speech to a joint session of Congress, but apparently some behind-the-scenes meetings with recalcitrant Republicans worried about wasting money, borrowing money from the Chinese and giving it to the Ukraine military and government. Here's Senator Rand Paul on the Senate floor this morning complaining about this and saying, you're not going to get my vote and you're not going to get my vote for any kind of expedited uh, evaluation of, of this because I'm not going to do anything to move it forward. When will the aid requests end? When will the war end? Can someone explain what victory in Ukraine looks like? President Biden certainly can't. His administration has failed to articulate a clear strategy or objective in this war, and Ukraine's long-awaited counteroffensive has failed to make meaningful gains in the East. With no clear end in sight, it looks increasingly like Ukraine will be yet another endless quagmire funded by the American taxpayer. In the other uh, clip, Gary, where he talks about money and dollars. I rise to put the leadership of the House, the Senate, and the President of the United States on notice. I will not consent to any expedited passage of any spending bill that provides any more American aid to Ukraine. Our deficit this year will exceed $1.5 trillion. Borrowing money from China to send it to Ukraine makes no sense. It's not as if we have some sort of rainy day fund sitting around trillions of dollars at a pot of money and we're just going to send that to Ukraine. We're going to borrow it. When we borrow it and create new money to pay for that borrowing, we create the inflation that is plaguing our economy. Since the beginning of Russia's war in Ukraine, the American taxpayers provided Ukraine with $113 billion. Over the 583 days of war, between February 24, 2022 and the end of the month, that averages $6.8 billion per month, or $223 million per day. 
wonder if the American public even understands uh, the gravity of that. I mean, 113 billion is almost to the dollar, to the extent that the Defense Department can measure this stuff, one eighth of the annual defense uh, budget. No, I don't think the American people is grasped. I think uh, Rand Paul did a fantastic job. I mean, the the imagery that just think about the imagery of borrowing money from China, China. I mean, I'm not anti-Chinese. I believe that we should have good relations. But my goodness, in Congress, you have all these people just foaming at the mouth about China, China, this, China, that, China, this. We need to decouple, de-link. We need to you know, protect our, uh, our, our, our supply chains, et cetera. And we're going to borrow money from China. <laughs> Sit there, they're our best friends. Hey, buddy, can you lend me a dime? Uh, what for? I need to go give it to the Ukrainians. I mean, I could understand if we're in desperate need here at home, we need to borrow money to help Americans. Okay, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't be borrowing money. We should be being fiscally responsible. But also keep in mind that Rand Paul's the guy that when the uh, the new Lend lease began, stood up in Congress and said, hey, before we go start handing out money to the Ukrainians, the most corrupt place in the world, don't we want an inspector general to come in and right. be able to look at this and tell us right, where this money is? Right. And he was shouted down, called a traitor, treasonous behavior, et cetera. Well, guess what? It turns out that, remember, all that money we're borrowing from China, let's make it even worse. Because not only are we going in further in debt, $6 out of every $10 that we borrow from China and give to Ukraine disappear into the cesspool of corruption. Six out of 10, 60%. So that 113 billion ain't 113 billion because around 70 billion of it has gone into the pockets of corrupt people. And if you listen to Seymour Hirsch, who I trust implicitly, 400 million of it has gone into Zelensky's pocket. So keep that in mind when Zelensky goes up there and starts passing the 10 cup around. He's trying to enrich himself. He's enriching his families. He's enriching his cronies. The last thing he's doing is helping the soldiers on the front line in Ukraine. Scott Ritter, thank you very much. Uh, a terrific, passionate, dramatic explanation of uh, of where we are. How much longer do you think this goes on, the war? I, I still believe that the Ukrainian army is going to reach a point of collapse sometime. I, I said by the end of summer, but that's tomorrow. So I'll, I'll go with the second part of it, which is early fall, which I will extend out to October. But, you know, it's a political decision. War is an extension of politics by other means. Russia is the one that controls the level of pressure they're going to put on Ukraine. And frankly speaking, if I'm a Russian, I take a look at the collapse of international support from Ukraine right now. And I say, you know, we're winning this war without having to subject additional Russian troops to casualties. So the Russians may not be so enthusiastic about putting all that pressure on Ukraine when all they have to do is maintain the status quo. The one thing Russia won't do, I believe, is willingly allow this conflict to go into a frozen uh, moment because all that does is mean that Ukraine's going to get rebuilt and Russia has to do it all over again. I think Russia's going to keep the pressure on and now it's just a question of when Ukraine breaks. And again, I believe that that's going to happen sooner rather than later, but that's just an assessment. It ain't a crystal ball. Scott Ritter, thank you very much. For, thanks for joining us uh, as usual, my friend. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. There you have it. Uh, arguments and explanations and truthful and in-depth in -depth explanations about what's going on in Ukraine that you don't get anywhere else. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues, tell your coworkers, tell your family. Subscribe to Judging Freedom. Help us to spread our word. 
of limited government, maximum personal liberty and peace. Because here at Judging Freedom, what do we do? We look out for your liberty.